so cool to see you guys tonight. If you have a Bible, let's open up to Psalms 142. And I'm pretty excited. Uh, man, having gone through the Psalms, it's still a very difficult book to teach because they're so amazing. And any Psalm you go through, you'll never exhaust it. You never get everything out of it that you want to. But I want to encourage you guys, and I hope I don't sound redundant, but just in case you're here and you didn't know this, I would encourage you to read a proverb every day, um, like whatever the date is. Like, what's the date today? Today is the 20th, and so read Proverb 20, and then tomorrow is the 21st. Uh, if you do that each day, you're going to grow in wisdom. But then another thing that I encourage you in, I don't know if you have a reading program or anything, but you know it's cool to read through the Bible as God would lead you, but I encourage you to be in the Psalms, man. Some people, what they do is they just read Psalms at, at night, you know, a few Psalms before they go to sleep or something like that. But as you continue to go through the Psalms, and especially if you find yourself struggling, you know, maybe uh, you're down, you're depressed, uh, you know, we go through valleys like that. The Psalms are great because you're going to see that a lot of uh, a lot of these guys, David even, great, you know, man of God, Acts 13.22 says he was a man after God's own heart. He was the king of Israel. He was a warrior. He was a sweet psalmist. He went through valleys that are indescribable, man, mental times that were so tough. And that's why when you go through the Psalms, you kind of get encouragement from him. just want to lay that out there before you. I don't think we read our Bibles enough, to be honest with you. I think that we're watching TV, we're on our phones, we're on our computers, we're going to the movies, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I don't want to sound legalistic or anything, but I think what happens is like the devil, he kind of has his finger on the Bible like this, and he just won't let you open it, let you do everything else. But it's like, man... Take a step of faith, get into the Word, saturate yourself in the Scriptures. And I, I think that when you do that, like with an open heart, not, not a Pharisee, but you will change. You will grow, you'll speak differently, things you'll see differently. But you have to do it with an open heart. You know, John seventeen seventeen, Jesus even prayed, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. And so that sanctification God will take his word and he'll do that work. And so today we're in Psalm 142 and it's kind of cool. I was just, again, like I said, man, I don't really feel like I can really do a great job on, on these Psalms. Uh, there's so much here, but I did want to give you some things to kind of hold on to. And so I give you a little outline for today in, in Psalms 142. Three things to take into consideration. Number one is preparation. And number two is supplication. And then number three is realization. And so how will we realize, how will we answer that call of God on our life? As parents, as, as pastors, as people who are a part of the body of Christ, how will we get to that place? I think there's a preparation that really is out of our hands. God is preparing us. And then there's that supplication. There's the, we're going to see David, man, praying Today And so as we go through this psalm, notice what you read in Psalm 142, beginning in verse 1. It's a contemplation of David, a prayer notice when he was in the cave. So he, he wasn't sightseeing, just in case you're thinking. He's going to the cave. Hey, you know, I heard about those caves. No, this is David on the run. Probably 10 years, maybe 15 years. So how long has, has your trial been? It's been 10 days, 10 weeks. It's been a couple of years. You know, and you're thinking, well, I'm sure that we're right around the corner, man. Things are going to change. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But what was happening for David is God was preparing him for the calling upon his life. Now, I don't know if you're going to be king. Who knows? Maybe you will. But whatever the calling is for you, there must be preparation. At the end of the day, God wasn't just making David a king. He was making him a man of God. You know, one of the greatest books I've ever read, I read it early in my life as a Christian, was uh, The Making of a Man of God by a man named Alan Redpath. And it's just all about David's life and how God prepared him, you know, for the calling that eventually he would answer and he would become king one day. And, you know, when you look at that, you wonder, well, how did he become such a man of God? 
How did he become such a loving leader? How was he able to write these worship psalms and write these chapters in the Bible and become a type of Christ? And how, how did it happen? How did he become a king like this? It wasn't in the castle. It was in the cave. It wasn't amongst royalty. It was when he was on the run with rogues and rebels. It was there that God formed him and chiseled him in the difficulties, in the suffering, in the cave that God prepared him to be this king that he would become. You know, and you see that throughout the Bible. Joseph, you guys know what he did, right? Joseph would eventually become second most powerful man in the world. God would use him to save the the Jews and other nations. But how did God prepare him for that position? You guys know how it was in the pit. It, It was in prison. And eventually he was exalted to the palace. You know, you think of Jesus. I mean, you think of his ministry. It was three years of ministry. Uh, How did it become so powerful, this ministry? Well, I believe that a lot of it had to do with the years of obscurity. You know, this great public ministry, three years, he trained the 12, and man, they would just turn the world upside down, and here we are. You know, we're Christians, we're saved, we have life. And it all began with this little three-year ministry. How, How did Jesus prepare for that? Well, it was the years of obscurity. When I think of Jesus, I don't know all the details, but I do believe that there was 30 years of preparation. When you study the life of Christ, two things stand out to me that really prepared him for ministry. Number one is uh, the scriptures. And number two is, is the word submission. Some people were, were thinking, well, when Jesus was born, do you think he knew the whole Bible? You know, he was born two years old. He's quoting, you know, the book of Psalms or something. You guys think that's how it worked for him? You know, it's interesting. When you read him as 12 years old, he went into the temple. He was asking questions. Jesus was. He was asking questions. Yeah, he was also giving answers, and they were amazed at his answers. But I believe because of the fact that he, it says in Philippians chapter 2, He emptied himself of his divine resources. The Greek word is kenosis. He never ceased to become God, but he emptied himself of those divine privileges. He was 100% man, 100% God. He learned to walk. He learned to talk. He learned the Bible. And so there was this preparation going on, uh, uh, learning the scriptures, I'll, I'll bet, almost anything, although we don't know all the details on that. But then there's also that he was learning kind of this whole thing of being submissive in one sense. Notice what we read in uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse 51. It says, Then he went down with them. This is speaking of Jesus. He came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in his heart. And you read the book of Hebrews. It seems to say the same thing. It says he learned obedience. There's something about that. The authority of the ministry is submission. And of course, we know Jesus has always been submissive to his father, but now things are being worked out here as a man, 100% God, 100% man. All I'm saying is this, that there's this preparation going on. Moses, 40 years learning to be somebody, then 40 years learning to be nobody, until eventually he realized, well, all I really need is God. What's God doing in your life? You may think, well, it's hard, I'm suffering, I'm going to a valley, it's dark, I'm in a cave. Bet you almost anything he's preparing you for something. The cool thing about the Lord is that he's using you right now. And simultaneously, he's preparing you for what's next. And so when I look at this right here, uh, it's a contemplation of, of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. I see, first of all, just I don't want to miss that. I don't want you to be discouraged if you're on the run with rebels and rogues and you find yourself in the cave rather than in the castle. There you are on the run rather with royalty. You know, don't be discouraged by that because God is preparing you. But you have to do what David did. Because some people, I think they do fall by the wayside because they never pass the tests. David did. He never lost faith. He never gave up. As a matter of fact, we move now from the preparation to the supplication. 
I remember when I was young, I, I was thinking, man, should I tell them about this? I probably shouldn't. But I remember, you know, you guys growing up, how many of you guys growing up got in fights just out of curiosity? Some of you guys didn't. I'm proud of you. <laughs> I did a lot of uh, wrestling matches, especially. Um, I like to wrestle. Yeah, some fights too. I remember losing one when I got need. Got need. Someone just lift up their knee and boom, and it hurt. And I was just thinking again, kind of the weird way my mind works, that the way we're going to win this wrestling match, this war, is we're going to have to need the enemy, you know? We're going to have to get on our knees. Everything will try to prevent you from it. You can do everything else. Read your Bible 100 hours. Again, things go together on this. You're going to go do ministry. And you're there you are. You're doing all the other stuff except praying. David, he teaches us preparation. That's, those are things that are out of our hands. But then supplication. Notice what he says in verse 1. I, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. And so David here is supplication. The word supply. I need you, Lord. I, I need help. I need deliverance. We're going to see David's going through some difficult times. That's praying. As he prays, he, it says right here, cry out. He, he cries out. And, and there's something about this that I think, I, I don't know about you, but when I read it, it's not just like flippant prayers. It's not like lackadaisical. It's not like, okay, the leftovers. No, this is a serious prayer life. Like I've told you before, it's not, not playing, it's praying. Not just trying, it's crying. 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 You know, what makes a godly man? Uh, wet eyes. Bent knees. And a broken heart. Do you cry? I mean, I, I know that when the Lord prayed, man, it says he prayed with vehement tears. So there's this, this challenge, you know. I don't know. I guess we're all different. Some people don't cry as easily. You guys know me. I can cry. Uh, you know, I watch Disney cartoons. And man, the other day we were watching a movie. And the kids are all looking at me and wondering if I'm going to cry or whatever. I mean, for me, I know it's a lot easier, so I don't want to like over say state the case, but I think there you you got to search your heart. When do you shed tears? David did. He he cried. Now some people are like, well, I cry, I cry, I cry, but they don't cry to God. Do you cry out to the Lord? Because if you find yourself in the difficulties. You know, and you're, the devil's trying to take you down and things are happening in your family. Things are happening all around you and you're not crying out. And I, I think that at the end of the day, maybe we're not doing what we should be doing by now. Let it get to you. Let it reach your heart. David here, he's crying out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. And so you, you got to cry out and you got to pour out. You know, Hannah poured out her heart before the Lord. You know, what happens, you guys, a lot of times what happens uh, is people don't want to talk. What happens when you clam up? What eventually happens? You guys know? Eventually you blow up. Because you have this junk inside of you and then someone comes and pushes a button and you blow up in front of them when you, what you should have done, rather than clamming up and keeping it all inside of you, is you should have seen what's inside of you and you should have poured it out to God. And that's what we see right here. David, as he's... You know, being prepared, there's that preparation, but then there's a supplication. And as he's praying, he's crying out to the Lord. He's pouring out his complaints before him. He's declaring to him his troubles. Notice in verse 3, when my, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me. And to be overwhelmed, it, it kind of means it's like you're buried alive, right? Then you knew my path 
in the way in which I walk, they have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. See, we're crying out, we're pouring out. We don't want to clam up. We don't want to blow up. We want to look up. And as we look up, then God says, okay, Manny, this is what I want you to do. This is the walk. This is, this is where you need to go. And what we find right here is when he's going through this, it says there that the Lord knew the path, the way that we should walk. Why? Because the enemy has set a snare for us, right? And in verse 4, you know, he's just saying, I, I feel all alone. You know, I look at my right hand and, and there's no one there who even cares for me. No one even acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. And what we find in, in looking at these things is that God is saying, listen, I know that you're going to have to experience this. I don't know if you guys ever feel alone. Like no one understands your situation. I know that we all have to go through that. You know, I was reading about the, the life of Corey Ten Boone and just an amazing life. You guys know who she is, right? She was part of this amazing family, this Dutch family in 1940. The, the Nazis came in into the Netherlands and man, they started, you know, their thing. And next thing you know, they're chasing all the Jews down. And so in 1943, her family, beautiful family, uh, they started hiding uh, Jews and others. They had a secret wall in, in Corey Ten Boom's bedroom where they could uh, hide six people at a time. And so over the course of time, this family hid. They rescued 800 people. It's amazing. And they all did it because of, you know, the love of Christ. Corey Ten Boom Beautiful person. She has a, a distinctive, uh, in, in the Jewish mentality, they say that those who are especially blessed by God actually die on the same date they were born. So Corey Ten Boom was born on April 15th. She died on April 15th. They, have, they see her, they esteem her as someone especially blessed by God. She did some amazing things. But, you know, eventually, you know, her mom died, her dad died, her siblings died. Uh, she was there in a, in a Jewish concentration camp where the Nazis held the, the Jews. And, and as she was there, God did this amazing work in them and through them, even to the prisoners. And, but, but she's the one that, that you probably heard this, this phrase. It says, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. You know, and we're there. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but sometimes you're there and you're like, man, I'm alone. I, I know what's going on here. I feel all alone. And, it, you know, it's interesting because I was thinking about this. Well, a lot of times we have our friends, we have our church family. And, and praise God for that. But, you know, I find myself a lot of times trying to help people and realizing, man, I am just a man. I mean, John the Baptist said, I can baptize you with water. Big deal. Big deal what that guy can do. John the Baptist, he's an amazing man. But what can he really do? We need what God can do. And so people, hopefully they become vessels through which God pours himself or tools with which he builds or weapons with which he fights. But until you actually come to that place of where he's, he's all you have, You'll never really understand that that's, that's all you need. And that's what we find right here. David, as he's going through this, it's, it's part of the preparation. I'm alone. I look to the right. There's no one there. I look over here. It doesn't seem like anybody cares. Right here, he says in verse 5, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. And so he says in verse 6, attend to my cry. And it's interesting as we go through this next section right here, we're going to see him make a request. This is the request and this is why. Attend to my cry. Why? For I am brought very low. <laughs> Deliver me from my pers persecutors. Why? For they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison. Why? That I may praise your name. 
And verse 7 is interesting because basically I, I think what David is saying is, Lord, I want to go back to the tabernacle. I want to go back to where they did the, the church service type of thing. I want to get back to that fellowship. I want to see that, you know, whatever, the Ark of the Covenant, you know, because he had, he was on the run. He couldn't be there. And, and so David's asking, he's telling God why. Again, I've always told you guys this. Um, uh, verse 6, deliver me from my persecutors. Why? Because they're stronger than I. And so we're no match for the devil, but the devil's no match for God. They're, they're stronger than me. Lord, deliver me. I want to praise you again, Lord, so set me free. And then in the end, as I said, and I wanted to kind of give you handles on this psalm, number one is this whole idea of preparation and then supplication and then realization. Because look what we read at the end of verse 7, the righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. And you know what? It's cool because he ends the psalm on an up, up note. Like, I know, I know God's got this. The righteous shall surround me. I'm going to be back in fellowship there. I'm going to be back where I belong. Why? Because God, you're going to deal bountifully with me. And so I, I pray that we would have that faith because I think that even that faith is part of realizing or receiving the promises of God. You only have one life, soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Will we finish our race? Will we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant? So a really cool psalm, I think we learned from David. And then the, the next psalm right here, Psalm 143, seven things, seven uh, prayers for me. And so we begin in verse 1, Psalm 143. It's a psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me. And in your righteousness, do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight, no one living is righteous. And so I wanted to just show you seven things that, uh, that David's going to pray. Again, there's so much here, but seven things maybe you can write down. We're going to go through this psalm together. Number one, answer me, verses one through seven. Uh, number two, cause me to hear your love. Uh, so important. Number three, cause me to know your way. We'll see in verse 8b. And then deliver me from my enemies, in verse nine. Teach me to do your will. Verse 10a, and then lead me. And 10b, and then revive me. Verse 11, Jesus prayed for himself. I think that we need to do the same. And it's kind of interesting. You can go through the Psalms and you can just pray it. You can just pray it. Number one, Lord, answer me. We see that actually a couple of times in this Psalm. Notice again, if you see that there in verse one, in your faithfulness, answer me. And we see it again in verse 7, answer me. And so answer me in your faithfulness, Lord, in your righteousness, not, not my own, right? Uh, we have no righteousness of our own. Isaiah 64, 6 says our righteousness is as filthy rags. If you turn to Philippians chapter 3, real quick. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says in verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. You're going to see that's the theme of the book of Philippians. Just rejoice in him. You know, we're going to see how we need to rejoice in his righteousness. And these are things, yeah, we've heard before, but we need to continue to remind ourselves of the fact that it's not based on our righteousness. Isn't it so crazy how when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn in two from top to bottom, so that now we can enter boldly into the holiest of holies? It's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness. Rejoice in this. I know we've heard it before, but we need to be reminded. Verse 2. He says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the, in, the, in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. 
No, he's saying, beware of those guys over there who tell you that really if you want to get your prayers answered, really if you want to you know, have good standing with God, really the only uh, way that you can have joy is if you, man, you're like this perfect Christian. Whatever, your average is higher, you know, you got to be above 500 or something like that. No. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in him? I mean, in your heart, he's your, he's your Lord. He's your Savior. There's the, the source of our joy. We're going to see right here, there's the source of our righteousness. He says in verse 4, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks they may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. You know, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And I've seen it over the years, you guys, and I need to warn you, some people, even in the church, are very self-righteous. Self-righteous. You think you're the judge. You think you're the standard. You think you're the Holy Spirit. Paul, at one time, he kind of thought that he was, he was like God's you know, chosen vessel, Holy Spirit type of thing. And, and, and I, I'll, I'm here to tell you that if that's you, you are far from God, my friend. The more Paul grew, the more he was aware of his sinfulness. When he got older in the faith, he said, I'm the chief of all sinners. So all I'm saying is be careful with that legalistic self-righteousness. Be really careful with that. Our righteousness is in Christ. Right here, he says, this was me. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or dung that I may gain Christ. And so some of my look at this and we're saying, Manny, Manny, he's just talking about the law. No, it's not just the law. It's all things, all self-righteousness. And so back in, in the Psalms, this is what David is basing it on. You know, this is what we, we see right here in verse 2 of Psalm 143. Do not enter into, into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. Verse 1, in, in your faithfulness, answer me, and in your, and in your righteousness. You know, not mine, Lord. You know, Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. You know, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. For there is not a just man on earth who does good, who does not sin. And so we come, we approach God in the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to our account when we place our faith in Jesus. You know, it's kind of cool. The other day, uh, my daughter and I, we went to McDonald's because we wanted the lunch of champions. And uh, no, actually, I think we had a coupon or something like that. So uh, we just started, you know, it's kind of cool uh, just sharing the Lord with different people, man. Going up to some kids, having lunch, and just telling them about the Lord. And man, so many people out there have never really heard the gospel, and then at the end, we ended up talking to a couple that had gotten saved a while back, but they haven't been in fellowship. And it, to me, uh, sharing the Lord like that is, is the greatest experience. I mean, to me, I'm like, wow, Lord, this is better than any ride in Magic Mountain. Sharing the righteousness of Christ. And what we find right here is David's going through this. David's asking that God would answer his prayer. Answer me, Lord, based on your righteousness, not mine. Why? Because in verse 3, the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead or they've been dead for ages. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse or ponder on the work of your hands. 
I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. David here is asking God to answer his prayer. He's going through some very, very, very difficult times. Now, I don't know if any of you are there. More than likely, some of you are. But if you're not, eventually you probably will be. Because we live in a broken world. Uh, We fight fallen angels and we have a fallen world. And it's a crazy thing. We live in fallen bodies. And so we're going to go through some very difficult times. David here teaches us how to fight on our knees. You know, how to pray. David's been there. But look what God did with his life. You might be there. Don't think that God can't do anything with your life. In verse 5, it's interesting. I remember the days of old. More than likely, that right there is in reference to his own life. But then where he says, I meditate on all your works, more than likely, that's probably him reading the Bible and all the great things that God had done. You know, I've seen it, Lord, the works that you've done. We look back in the early days of Calvary Chapel, Lord, and we see the the work that you you did. Do it again, Lord. That's kind of what he's saying. Uh, Here I am, I'm just spreading out my hands, Lord, I want you. And so again, in verse 7, answer me speedily, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. And so as you're praying, hopefully there's that aspect of, Lord, answer me. Lord, I lift up my my kids and they're struggling in in their walk. Lord, light a fire inside of them. Answer me. Lord, I lift up my my loved one over here who's struggling with cancer. Heal her. Answer me. You know, and you can get specific with God, whatever those requests are. And the Lord always does, right? It's a yes, a no, or a wait. But there's something about James chapter 4, verse 2. It says sometimes you don't have because you don't have. And so here, as he's praying, I think for himself, it begins with prayer. Number one, answer me. Number two, notice there in verse eight, where he says, cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. Interesting, cause me to hear your loving kindness. Lord, bring me to that place. You know, the the Jewish word for teaching is different than our English concept. Our English concept is I'm teaching and what that means is I'm presenting to you the information. I'm, I'm giving it to you. Now what you do with it, that's up to you. That's our English mentality. But the Jewish mentality for teaching was cause them to learn. Make it happen. And that's kind of what David is saying right here. Cause me to hear about your love in the morning. And I think that's a great way to start our day Lord, Lord, let it happen. Cause me to hear about your loving kindness, Lord, in the morning. And then, and then the second thing, or the third thing, he says, cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Lord, make it happen. You know, sometimes I think that the reason why people struggle the way they do at the end of the day, and I don't want to over say it, but... How, how come they're struggling? Why, why is it that they're going through what they're going through? They, they don't sense the nearness of God. They don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. They don't really know how much God loves them. They don't. And they don't know the way they're supposed to walk. And what David is saying here is, Lord, as I'm going through this craziness, answer me. Cause me to know your love. And it would be cool if it happened in the morning because that's a great way to start your day. And cause me to know the way. You think you know the way? You think you know how? Yeah, I've been a Christian for a long time and I know 87 Bible verses by heart. No, I'm telling you, man, that the life of a Christian is a life where it says in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 12, he led them by fire, by pillar of fire at night, a pillar of cloud by day to give them light on the road they should travel. It's a very personal guidance that God provides. You know, I was talking to a brother the other day and he was talking about how he was uh, debating on whether or not to go to Israel. Because uh, what had happened was when they presented to the congregation about this Israel trip, he said that um, 
you know, he didn't really pray about it. He's like, Israel, I'm there. And so he went and he just paid. He got the ticket. He's excited. Recently married. Next thing you know, he, uh, he ends up applying for this job opportunity. And it just so happens that in order for him to get this job, there was a great, great chance that it would conflict with his Israel trip. And so he was thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't go to Israel. Because if I do, and while I'm gone, that might be the day they call me and I lose this job of a lifetime. And so there was this struggle going on inside of him. Should I go to Israel? Should I not go to Israel? Family's telling him, don't go. Pastor's telling him to go and be a matter of faith. <laughs> and so what ends up happening, and this is, this is between, this is his, the way it worked out for him. As he's debating, Lord, show me the way, show me the way. He goes to the doctors, and uh, you'll never guess the doctor's name. Israel. The doctor's name was Israel. For him, and again, for you, you might not see it that way, but for him, it was like, hey, I'm going. God has shown me the way. And as he's praying, he's asking God for guidance. Lord, what do I do? He ended up losing the job. No, I'm just joking. He didn't. He got the job. But I'm saying, Lord, answer me. And he's praying, cause me to know your love in the morning. Lord, cause me to know your way, what steps I should take. He's praying these things. He's very specific in this. Notice next, he says in verse 9, Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies, and in you I take shelter. Now, it's kind of cool, because this is the same David who had talked to Saul. And he said, as he's going up against Goliath, he said, God has delivered me from the paw of the lion, God has delivered me from the, the mouth of the, of, the, of the bear. And God will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine as, as well. But, but he's praying it. He's praying it. We need to pray it. Notice verse 10. Teach me to do your will for you are my God. Your spirit is good. And I like that because he doesn't just you know, say like teach me information or teach me Bible knowledge. Teach me to do your will. And I think that we see the same thing in the Great Commission. And, you know, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded them, right? And at the end of the day, what do we want, you guys? We want to come to a place as Christians where we just want to do God's will. That's so huge. Not my will, but, but Lord, your will. Teach me to do your will. Then the next thing is lead me in the land of uprightness. And so all these things, you know, we can pray. Lord, may you do this work. May you answer me and cause me to hear your love and cause me to know your way and, and deliver me from my enemies and teach me to do your will. And Lord, lead me in life. And then the last thing there is revive me. Lead me in the land of uprightness and Lord, revive me for your name's sake. And this is why we do it for the glory of God. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. He says, because I am your servant. So these are things we can actually pray. The, the last one, Psalm 144. Notice what we read in verse 1. It says, the Psalm of David Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And as we go through this last psalm, I kind of saw three things in the beginning. Number one, in verses one through eight, we see the warrior. In verse nine, we see the worshiper. And then in verses 10 and 11, we see the worker. And I always kind of come back to this, you guys. Uh, you have to forgive me for this, but... Like, God, I believe when he knit you together in your mother's womb, he had a specific calling for you. He had dreams, a destiny. I get caught up in that. You know, I don't know if you do or not, but I do. It's like, Lord, what did you make me to do? What is my mission as a man? I really get caught up in that. And so with this next section right here, we're going to see that as David is a warrior and David is a worshiper and David is a worker, two things happen. God gets glorified. It's for the glory of God 
and the good of the people. Now, you might not be the king, or maybe you will be. I don't know what your calling is. But if you discover your calling, and if you fulfill his mission for your life, if you run the race that he set for you, then we're going to see it's the same thing for the glory of God and the good of the people. It impacts, we're going to see the family and impacts society. Things happen economically. And even this word happy is we're going to see it. That's what happens when every person does their part. But it's not easy. I think we're all, we all have to understand that we're warriors. And so God trains our hands for battle, even our fingers. And so David you guys know he was, he was a bad dude, man. He, he, he fought. He won. I mean, just amazing battles. He was trained by God. He had fingers. They say that maybe those fingers needed to be trained because of the, the bow that he had. I don't know, the sword. But God, to the details, he trained him as a warrior. We see here that David just blesses God for that. And he, and he knows who God is. Verse 2, my loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower, my deliverer, my shield, and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people or the people under me. He says in verse 3, he asks, Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him or the son of man that you are mindful of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Bow down your heavens, or or open the heavens. Come down, O Lord, and touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out your arrows and destroy them. And so notice he's still in the war concept, this battle, this battle that we're in. Lord, I know you're training me to, to fight, and I have to do my part. I have to cooperate. I have to yield to Yahweh. I have to fight the good fight. And as you're training me, Lord, I know you're with me. And you're going to be the one shooting those arrows. You know, right there where he's like, what is man that you're mindful of? And the son of man that you would even care for him. What he's talking about there is as I'm there on the battlefield, you're, you're watching over me and I'm nothing. In, in one sense, we're, we're nothing, you guys. But then in another sense, we are. You guys remember that song uh, by Casting Crowns, Who Am I? When you look at it, this song is an amazing song. I wish I could sing it to you, but if you haven't heard it, I encourage you to write it down and go and check it out uh, on Apple Music or Spotify or whatever it is that you use. But the lyrics go like this, Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name and would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. And here it is. It sounds so cool. It says, I am a, a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still you hear me when I'm calling, Lord, you catch me when I'm falling, and you've told me who I am, I am yours. Who are you? Yeah, in one sense, we're just a vapor in the wind, a wind tossed, a wave tossed in the ocean. I mean, we're, we're nothing. But at the end of the day, because our Father is a God who loves and he made us in his image, we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior. We are his. And so the Lord will protect you in the war. As you're a warrior, he's going to shoot his arrows. Verse 7, he says, Stretch out your hand from above. Rescue me and deliver me out of great waters from the hand of foreigners, or other translations say enemies, whose mouth speaks lying words and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. And so you guys know how that being a Christian is not for wimps. Right? You guys know that you're going to have to fight. And then secondly, a worshiper. Look what he says in verse 9. I will sing a new song to you, O God, on a harp of ten strings. I will sing praises to you. To me, I always trip out on the fact that David, 
was this crazy, radical soldier and this amazing psalmist. To me, I always trip out on that, huh? Because, you know, you would think, well, that's more like the artistic type of person, more of a soft side. But what we find is that David, man, he was just amazing all around. I think when it comes to worship, I encourage you guys prayerfully that you always have these new songs that God gives you. You're a warrior, a worshiper, and then a worker. Notice in verse 10, the one who gives salvation to kings. And that's where I got the word worker from, to kings. If David becomes king, the people will be blessed. And then that's what's going on here. David here is on the run and Saul and Satan and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, he's, he's praying there from the bottom of the dungeon and he's kneeing the enemy. He's fighting this good fight. He's, he hasn't lost heart. He hasn't lost faith. And as he's there, a warrior, he's a worshiper, he's going to be this worker. And right here it talks about this king the one who gives salvation to kings, who delivers David, his servant, from the deadly sword. And so, verse 11, rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouth speaks lying words and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. And, and then we end with four things that I wanted to share with you, that when we do our part as warriors and worshipers and workers, it leads to blessings described with four words. Number one, verse 12, is family. Look at verse 12. That our sons may be plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as pillars sculptured in palace style. And so again, not a blanket promise, but a general principle that when everyone does their part as a warrior, a worshiper, and a worker, the results are the family. They're going to be blessed. The family. Here we see the sons and are, are, are mature and the daughters are beautiful. And, and then after the family is, is the economy or financially. Look at verse 13. That our barns may be full, supplying all kinds of produce. That, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. That our oxen may be well laden. All that's in reference to the economy. You know, you want to you wanna bless Israel? Let, let, let there be a king like David. You know, you want to bless the, the country? Let Jesus be the king. We're going to see that in the millennial kingdom. And it, 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 it is seen, the blessings are seen in the family. The blessings are seen in the economy. The blessings are seen in liberty. Look what it says next, that there be no outcry in our streets, that there be no breaking in or going out. That's an reference to the enemy coming in and having his way. No. If David's allowed to be king, and this is what's going to happen one day, God's going to bless the family. God's going to bless the economy. God's going to give them liberty. And God will make them happy. And that's what we see there in the last verse. I wish I had more time to share, but what a beautiful verse. Happy are the people who are in such a state Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. And you know, we got a world, everybody, you know, and it's okay. It's okay to want to be happy. The Declaration of Independence, right? It has that there. Thomas Jefferson drafted it. The five men edited it. Eventually, we have the final version from the Second Continental Congress telling us there within that declaration that we're all created, you know, with this rights, unalienable rights from God, that all men are created equal so that we can pursue a life. We have the right of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, right? But what we're finding, you guys, and just real quick, I was reading an article today about as time progresses, less and less people are happy. From the 90s, um, now it's just been going down and down and down until now, on a scale of one to three, the happiness barometer is just a little over two. And something that's interesting, they said that once the, these phones and these iPads and these screens were invented, that happiness 
plunged. And I wonder, I wonder why, you know, and I know there's a lot of distractions. What we find in our text right here is that when, when we're God's people, when he's our Lord, it's then that we're going to be happy. So be careful with those things. Uh, let me close with one last uh, graphic I think we have. I want to show you guys about um, what would happen if we treated the Bible the same way we treat our phones. Number one, we carry it with us wherever we go, huh? And some of you guys have the Bible on your phone, so maybe that's a little the same, but maybe not. Secondly, what if we turned back to get it every time we forgot it? How many of you guys, when you leave your house, you forgot your phone and you go back and get it? How many of you did that 17 times today? How about if we checked our messages throughout the day in the Word of God, right? How about if we used it in case of an emergency we're getting into the Word? And then the last one right there says, how about if we spent an hour in the Word each day? And I think that the average screen time, just to let you know, it's a very practical thing. The average screen time for a young person today in the United States of America, six hours. Six hours on the phone, on television, on the iPad, on the computer. And I don't know if you can necessarily spend six hours in the Bible, but that's why we're not happy. Right here it says in verse 15, happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. And so Lord, we just uh, thank you for just uh, the clarity of that, Father, that we know uh, as we, we want to be happy, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, Lord. Never at the expense of holiness, but we want happiness. Lord, I pray that we would just find it, Lord, in this relationship that we have with you. Lord, I do pray that you just continue to work in our lives, Lord, and teach us how to be a people of prayer and faith and never giving up, even in the difficulties that we go through, Lord. Encourage your people, Lord, and please, I pray with all my heart, help us to grow, help us to change at home and wherever you send us, Lord. We love you and thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name.